Welcome to CFAS podcast on investing in emerging markets. I'm Michael Hedstrom, director of the Closed End Fund Association. While the emerging markets only represent about 10% of the global equity markets, they have a majority of the world's population, land mass, foreign exchange reserves, GDP, and energy consumption. Also, 8 out of 10 of the world's largest cities are in emerging market economies. I'm pleased to have Randy McConaughey from Aberdeen Asset Management joining us for today's podcast. He will share his insight on the many changes taking place in the emerging markets and potential opportunities for closed-end fund investors. Before we get started, here is some brief background information about Aberdeen and Rennie. Aberdeen is a global investment manager with more than $385 billion in assets under management for both institutions and individual investors. Rennie has 30 years of experience in the investment industry. He is currently head of the Global Bank's distribution channel at Aberdeen and is also country head of Switzerland, working between the Zurich and the New York offices. Before joining Aberdeen, Rennie was a partner at RP Capital, an investment advisory company specializing in the emerging markets, and CEO of Bridgewell PLC, an investment bank in London. Rennie was previously responsible for the European equity business and investment research at Merrill Lynch. Rennie, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Michael, thank you very much uh, for having me. Let's start with the market environment. Emerging market equities sold off significantly after the U.S. election, mainly due to concerns about increased U.S. trade protectionism and a stronger U.S. dollar. But since the turn of the year, the emerging markets have recovered strongly. Can you talk about what you're seeing in the market and your thoughts on the outlook going forward? Also, what effects could rising interest rates have on emerging market currencies and U.S. dollar valuations? Well, the uh, markets uh, have been pretty volatile. And as you rightly say, uh, post the election of President Trump, we saw a significant sell-off in, uh, in emerging markets, uh, both bonds, equities, and for that matter, currencies as well. It was, as you rightly point out, down to views on U.S. protectionism and the policies that Donald Trump was going to put in place. We've since then seen quite a significant rebound, and I think that's down to a number of things. First of all, it seems that uh, a lot of the rhetoric that uh, President Trump was using pre-election has softened quite a bit in terms of actual policy actions post-election. And the ability for President Trump to actually get stuff done in Congress seems to be proving a little more tricky than he and others might have thought. I also think the uh, the response was uh, post-election pretty knee-jerk and actually a good opportunity. You know, the uh, the longer-term themes uh, in, in emerging markets are still very positive. And yes, uh, there is a view that uh, a rising interest rate environment, particularly in the U.S., isn't good for um, emerging markets. But I think I would uh, make a couple of points there. First of all, any rate increases we see in the U.S. are going to be gradual, and I think over a, a long period of time. So we're not going to see violent interest rate moves in the U.S. And secondly, the the fiscal positions of uh, a lot of a, a number of emerging market countries. And also the corporates within those countries are are significantly stronger than in other times of emerging markets crises. So uh, I don't actually believe that the rising interest rate environment is going to have much impact on emerging markets this time round. And, you know, we've seen a a significant rally both in bonds, equities and, and also in emerging market currencies over the last few months. 
And while GDP growth has slowed down in recent years, emerging economies are still growing faster than the developed counterparts. Countries like India, China, and Indonesia are stepping up their efforts on structural reform, which will bode well for long-term growth. We're also seeing a growing middle-class population. What are some interesting themes and trends in the emerging markets that investors should know about? I think you've touched on uh, one of the more significant ones there, Michael, and that is referring to GDP growth. GDP growth in the emerging market area has remained pretty robust, and the outlook for it remains pretty robust as well. If you look at average forecasts in the marketplace, you're probably seeing GDP growth of two, three hundred basis points uh, more than we're seeing in uh, the developed markets of the likes of uh, the U.S., uh, Europe, and uh, and Japan. So uh, that's particularly important. And as you rightly say, there are another uh, a number of countries that have embarked on fairly significant reforms. I think India in uh, particular comes to mind there, where President Modi has uh, pushed through a pretty radical reform agenda, uh, tackling corruption and making the ease of doing business much more significant in that country. And uh, in the ease of doing business index, you've seen India, I think, jump about 20, 25 places over the last 12 months. So those reforms are certainly helping. Indonesia, as you point out, we've seen a reform-friendly government elected uh, just over a year ago, and uh, you've seen significant reforms pushed through there. And again, the growth outlook uh, in that country as well remains pretty pretty exciting. And another point I'd like to make in regard to that is looking at the whole area of demographics. You know, the uh, population in the Western world and Japan is is aging, birth rates are falling, and um, that will undoubtedly be a significant long-term drag on economic growth. The demographics in most of the emerging market countries are really quite exciting. We'll we'll continue to see robust population growth, which will certainly aid the longer-term outlook for economic growth uh, as, as well. And just to put that in context, I think it was Citibank said uh, in, a, in a piece of work they did a year or so ago that by 2030, more than 50% of uh, global GDP will be in the Asian region. So you can see a significant shift taking place there in terms of uh, the strengthening of economies and uh, you know where economic growth is really going to take hold. And from an investment point of view, one really needs to be cognizant of that when looking to uh, allocate portfolios for the longer term. So there's some positive developments in the emerging markets. What is your view on some of the risks? Well, there are always risks, whether you're investing in uh, developed markets or emerging markets. Within emerging markets, I guess you have to uh, understand that uh, the rule of law in certain countries is uh, is not all it might be. You have to understand that uh, various of the political and judicial institutions uh, are not as strong as they could be. And you have to be on the lookout for uh, corruption, so making sure you invest in the right companies with good management that will treat all shareholders equally. We've just seen a good example of um, you know what corruption scares can do in Brazil over the last uh, over the last couple of months or so. President Tamar was alleged to have been involved in a discussion on rebribery, and you saw a significant sell-off in both uh, the currency and the Brazilian equity market in response to that, because uh, investors became nervous that uh, uh, President Tamar was no longer going to be able to push through the fairly radical reforms that uh, he was intending to. 
so one has to be aware of that and uh, you know really know the companies and the management of the companies and perhaps the families that are majority owners of these companies that you're investing alongside uh, good solid people who as i said before will treat uh, all shareholders equally having said all that as i point out uh, to uh, clients of ours, corruption in the developed world is uh, is very much a factor there too. Last time I looked, I think the Western banks have been fined a total of something like $350 billion for various nefarious activities that they've been embarking upon. So uh, corruption is, uh, is alive and well in developed markets, just as it is in the emerging market space as well. And you mentioned the importance of knowing the companies that you invest in. That's a good transition into the next question. Emerging markets offer active managers one of the best opportunities to outperform a benchmark. What are your thoughts on active versus passive investing in the emerging markets? Well, passive investing is definitively here to stay. There's no doubt about that. And the ETS slash index world will continue, I think, to take more market share. But I, I think you've got to be pretty careful when you look at the emerging market world because significant opportunities both in terms of equities and in terms of bonds do not appear in any emerging market index. So if you decide to invest uh, uh, in emerging markets via an ETF, you can really miss out on very significant investment opportunities because there are a number of very good companies that are not listed in any of these indices. So if you invest with an active manager, uh, that active manager can take advantage of all the opportunities, both in the index and outside of the index, and I think that's a much better way to look at things. Equally, the various areas of the emerging markets world are fairly illiquid, and uh, I think if we see a significant sell-off, It'll be interesting to see exactly how the ETF world performs in that area. Closed-end funds, for example, are, are actually a very good way of, uh, of investing in emerging markets because uh, they are permanent capital vehicles uh, and um, they can take advantage of uh, some of the more attractive but less liquid areas that maybe mutual funds and certainly ETFs uh, uh, cannot do. So, um I'm not against ETFs per se. I think in uh, in a lot of areas they provide uh, beta that uh, investors are looking for at a very cheap price. Uh, I'm just not convinced that uh, they serve that purpose as well in the emerging market world. You mentioned a bit about why using the closed-end fund structure when investing in the emerging markets. You also have several single-country funds at Aberdeen. Why should investors consider using one of them, for example, an India fund versus a broader emerging markets fund? Well, um, I'd love to say that emerging markets uh, were, were all the same, but they are not. There are very different investment opportunities that uh, are offered uh, in different countries. Some countries are very much driven by commodities. Other countries are significant commodity importers. Uh, in India is a good example of that. I mean, India you know, imports a lot of its uh, crude oil. And, you know, the reform story in India is one that is very exciting, both as an equity investor and as a bond investor. Uh, as you said, as I say, Modi has pushed through some very significant reforms uh, in the country. 
and uh, we've seen a lot of money flow into bond and equity markets uh, as a consequence of that. The Indian market could arguably look a little expensive at the moment, but with you know significant GDP growth potential, with inflation under control, with um, bond yields uh, around the 7% mark, it's actually a very attractive story. So... Um, Investing in emerging markets funds per se can give you significant exposure uh, to both the bonds and equity uh, asset classes, much more so, as I said before, than an ETF. You know, there are some very specific stories within emerging markets where investing via a country fund can be a very good way of gaining that exposure. And we've certainly seen a lot of interest in our Indian closed-end fund from financial advisors over the last 12 or 18 months. Many investors are attracted to the track record of emerging market growth and performance, but are reluctant to invest due to the volatility. In summary, what are you potentially missing out on if you have an investment portfolio without exposure to the emerging market? Well, I think you're you're, you're missing out on uh, getting significant exposure to long-term economic growth. And as I said earlier on, there's hardly a forecaster out there that isn't forecasting fairly anemic growth of the Western world over the next uh, five or ten years. And uh, with with aging populations, that uh, is not going to make matters any easier. And uh, the real growth is going to come from emerging markets. So uh, if you want to tap into that economic growth as an investor, you really do have to have a significant exposure to the emerging market world. As I said before, by 2030, 50% of global GDP will be based in the, the Asian region. So you really can't afford to miss out on that as an investor. And yes, there is volatility. Uh, from time to time. There's no question of that. We would see that volatility as an opportunity. If you do get significant corrections in the markets, then uh, we would see that as an opportunity to add to the good quality companies that uh, Aberdeen has in its uh, mutual funds and closed-end funds uh, that are invested in emerging markets. And we're very much long-term investors, and uh, we fully expect our clients to understand that. From time to time, you will have to ride out periods of volatility because they'll be there at emerging markets. But the really significant story is the uh, the long-term growth potential there, and that is what investors will increasingly, I believe, need more and more exposure to. Thank you, Randy. As always, it's good to talk to you and hear your thoughts and perspective on what's happening in the emerging markets and what that means for advisors and investors in the closed-end fund space. My pleasure, Michael. Always good to talk to you. You can find more insight from Aberdeen and information about the closed-end funds on their website at www.aberdeen-asset.us. I also encourage you to visit CIFA.com, which is your comprehensive resource for education, data, and timely insight on closed-end funds. Thank you all for listening. I hope you receive some good ideas and takeaways from today's conversation. Have a great day.